You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be near us now and abide with us by the power of your Spirit, and that you would impress upon our hearts your fatherly goodness to us, your children, and Lord, especially those of us who find ourselves as bad children and even bad parents. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, series on 2 Samuel uh, has done quite a number on me. It's hard for me not to get emotionally engaged uh, in this sermon series simply because the Bible is so apt and this morning is no different. Uh, Unless you're one of those twisted individuals that likes to read the end of the book first and then go back or the end of the movie and then go back, uh, this passage from 2 Samuel should make absolutely no sense to you whatsoever. Uh, We come to the end of the story. Uh, The lectionary has pole vaulted over six chapters to get us from Nathan confronting David over Bathsheba, thou art the man, and now all of a sudden Absalom is dead and David is completely broken by his son's death. What events led up to a grief-stricken David and a dead Absalom? The story is often familiar. It certainly normally doesn't play itself out in the way that it did here in the pages of 2 Samuel, but I think all of us are going to be able to relate to it on some level. And that is this. It's a terrifying thought, but the faults and failings of parents are often reproduced in their children. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. If you have little ones, when all of a sudden they'll say something and immediately you'll turn and you'll think, who said that? Or they'll react to something in such a way that is alarming to you because what they're saying and what they're doing is what? Exactly what you would do. And it's not often an encouragement. Matthew Henry said, Godly parents have often been afflicted with wicked children. Grace does not run in the blood, but corruption does. Now, of course, it's not inevitable that our children will display all of our faults, but it is highly likely that they will be affected by them. And that is what we see here with David and his son Absalom. Now I can understand why the lectionary skipped over it because it is one of the most terrifying stories uh, in the entirety of the Bible. And I'm gonna do my best to keep it PG this morning, but we have to understand what's happening. David has two sons, well, he has more than two, but the two that we need to know about are Absalom and Amnon. Amnon is David's heir to the throne, his oldest living child. Absalom has a whole sister, Tamar, Amnon's half-sister. Amnon began to lust after Tamar. A cousin of his helps him hatch a plot as to how they can get the two together. And while Tamar is helping care for what she believes is her sick brother, Amnon grabs her and has his way with her in his bedroom. He then sends her away. What he thought was love was actually complete lust. And it said that the love with which he loved her actually was replaced by a hate that was even greater than the love he thought he had. 
And so he casts Tamar off. And her brother Absalom finds out about it. And Absalom says to his sister Tamar, do not take this to heart. And that's because Absalom has taken it into his own heart. What has happened? And David, the father, finds out what happens, and he's furious. But he does nothing about it. In the story, we hear that Tamar is Absalom's sister or Amnon's sister. But never do we hear of her as David's daughter. It was her relationship to her brothers that presented the obstacle to Amnon's desires, not the protection of her father. And if such a heinous story is in the Bible, we are right to ask, why has God told us this story? God is telling us this story because he says, fathers, mothers, look and learn. If you care for your children... And God knows that David cared for his to a fault. Then guard your own integrity, uprightness, truthfulness, and character. Because we see how earlier wickedness perpetrated by David has produced a weakness. David loved his sons, but he seemed powerless to curb their waywardness. Because what Amnon has done is no different than what his father had done with with Bathsheba. As John Woodhouse says, there is a deep problem here. The children of flawed people are flawed. They don't get better and better. David not only failed himself, but his son turned out to be no better. Indeed, he was worse. That is the problem with human relationships. Even great and good leaders can have terrible children. If this is the case, what hope is there for God's kingdom? What hope is there for humanity? If you think that your family is dysfunctional, look at David's. It hardly helps, although it's important to realize that what we've witnessed in this episode is the beginning of the trouble that had been prophesied for David's house as a consequence of his adultery and murder involving Bathsheba and Uriah. What hope can there be if God's promise is tied to this fractured, dysfunctional family? The scriptures are not meant to be merely profitable for general life lessons but they are also able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As we hear this story of the son of David, Amnon, we are amazed that God's promises concerning his kingdom has nonetheless been fulfilled. The ultimate son of David has come who did not inherit his his father David's flaws and failures. He has come to call us all into a kingdom where corruption even like that of Amnon, can be washed clean. And so it's a word, in the first instance, to parents. No matter how much water is over the dam, no matter how much baggage you're hauling, no matter how old your children are, it is never too late. You can declare now, even with all of that past history, 
that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One, because I can acknowledge my history and how I failed as a parent, but moreover, because I understand who I am and the redemption that I have in Jesus Christ. It may be awkward. Your children might think you're crazy. Your spouse might think you're crazy. What do you mean all of a sudden that you're going to start praying before meals? Why are you praying for me at bedtime and blessing me? Why do you want to start reading the Bible with me and starting to talk about really deep things that you never wanted to talk about before? So be it. Awkwardness is an intensely small price to pay to see your children walking in the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for them and how he has made them heirs of eternal life through his cross and resurrection. In God's providence, no one is ever too far gone and on this side of life it is never too late no matter how old your children are. And if it does seem like your children are far too gone and you're not at a place where you can actually minister to them, minister to your grandchildren, minister to your nieces and nephews, minister to all you can, minister to your husband, minister to your wife. But then we get a word for bad children. There's no doubt that David is a bad dad. But does it justify the behavior of Absalom? Absalom had waited two years after Amnon had violated his sister Tamar. And Absalom has some sheep that need shearing. And it's not just the shearing of the sheep. There's actually a party around this event. And so Absalom hatches his plot and goes to his father David and says, I want you to let Absalom come and be a part of this feast. David knows, "Eh, why do you want him to go? I know there's issues between the two of you. Issues that David has not sorted out yet. And so Absalom prepared for that and says, well, he's the heir to the throne. He's an important guy. He should be there. But I'll tell you what, why not all of my brothers come to the sheep shearing feast? And David's hesitation is overcome by Absalom's reasoning. And all of David's sons are invited and there at the feast. And while there, Absalom tells his soldiers, wait for Amnon to have too much to drink and then wait for my signal. And when I give you the signal, fall upon him and do not be afraid for what you are doing is a righteous thing. So Absalom gives the signal and his men fall upon Amnon and they kill him. And Absalom and the rest of David's sons flee in opposite directions. Absalom flees to his maternal grandfather, the king of Geshur, beyond the Jordan and therefore beyond his father David's control. And there he stays for three years. I grew up in a broken home. And I faulted my parents for just about everything. And so I thought it was my responsibility to pick up where they left off, going so far as to even parent my siblings, and even into adulthood. 
my wife convicted me just once uh, when uh, I was talking to her about a dream I had of my younger siblings. And she said, when you dream of them, just based on what you're telling me, how old are they in your dreams? And I said, oh, they're little boys. She said, that's a problem. How many of us are trying to parent our siblings because we don't think that our parents did enough, a good enough job parenting them? That we think that they got away with something and so it's our job to be the spiritual arm of the sheriff's department to execute justice upon them. Now you may not be saying, hey, when Bob gets drunk at the party, fall upon him and kill him. But sometimes it's not far short of that. And indeed, it may be that you had bad parents, parents who abdicated their responsibility. And it was very, very difficult to live out the commandment to honor your mother and your father. But you cannot tether yourself to the dysfunction of your parents. I used to think that being tied to your mother's or father's apron strings meant that you couldn't get out of their shadow and that you stuck close to home. And I found in my own life that it could be equally true that you're just as tied to your parents' apron strings by trying to get away from them as far as you can because their dysfunction is still dictating how you do your own life. Rather than understanding that I have a heavenly father in spite of my mother and father here on earth's imperfections. This morning we sang two hymns, Praise to the Lord the Almighty and Abide with Me, written by the same man, Henry Francis Light. Light grew up in what was a well-to-do family and he was sent off to boarding school. And while he was at boarding school, his father left his mother and younger brother to take up house with another woman. They became destitute. It was only through uh, the loving kindness of others, especially the headmaster of Light School, uh, to keep him there. And the parents became, or the mother became so destitute that his brother died of malnourishment after a bout with illness. His mother really wasn't able to care for him. But the most heartbreaking of all is that when his father would write to Henry Francis Light while at school, do you know how his father would sign his letters? Your uncle. Light's father never allowed him to call him daddy. He grew up fatherless in this world. And yet you listen to those two hymns that we just sang and you are overwhelmed with the fatherness of our God. And you see a life in Henry Francis Light that was not dictated by the bad hand that was dealt to him, but by the goodness of God. That in spite of the fact that his, heavenly, that his earthly father failed him, his heavenly father would never, ever fail him and would be with him in both life and in death, that God would always abide with him. And so a word to children. You cannot make up for the shortcomings of your parents. You can only live your life in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ and that God would change our hearts so that we wouldn't feel the impulse to do justice to our siblings and others but actually that we would be overwhelmed with God's impulse toward us, and that is to show grace and mercy to those who don't deserve it.
So it's no wonder that David is a mess of emotions. He's mourning the loss of Amnon. He misses Absalom. He's well aware of his own sordid past, his inability to deal with the situation with Tamar. How could David not think, it's all my fault? Absalom initiates a coup. All of Israel nearly is behind him. He takes the city of Jerusalem. Even David acknowledges that he's now the king and David is in exile. And yet God's plans cannot be thwarted. And David says, for my sake, deal gently with my son Absalom. But when Joab, his mighty general, finds him stuck in a tree, he kills him. Because even though he knows that Absalom is David's son, whom he loves, that he's also an enemy and a rebel, and so long as he lives, David's throne is not secure. And so Joab didn't deal gently with Absalom, but had him killed. And then we hear some of the most moving words in the entirety of Scripture. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I've been blessed to be around the deathbed of who knows how many people at this point. And I never hear anybody expressing the wish that they had spent a little more time in the office, gotten in a little more golf. But in fact, if any regret is expressed, it has everything to do with the relationship between a spouse, but more often than not, children. And so we are given the opportunity this morning to love our kids and to love our parents and to love our siblings in a way that demonstrates God's grace and mercy. And we all know that sometimes it is going to take, and every time it's going to take, God's Holy Spirit to break into our hearts so that we're given a heart like God. Because do we see that in David's helpless cry, he anticipates the solution that would one day be provided? Would I had died instead of you? When the great son of David, Jesus Christ, eventually came... He came to die instead of his enemies. A ransom for many. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news for bad kids and bad parents. God's arm is never too short to save. And in his mercy and in his goodness, he shows us exactly what a righteous father, a righteous mother does with wayward children. But he also shows us what well-intentioned children, what their relationship ought to be to their parents 
and their siblings. And so this morning, understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God's justice and love have kissed. That justice has been satisfied by the one who loved us so that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, we admit and confess to you that we are not the children that we ought to be and we're not the parents that we ought to be. And there's nothing more precious in this life apart from knowing you than those whom you've given us to love, our husbands, our wives, our moms, our dads, our children. And Lord, yet that's where we often blow it totally and completely. Lord, keep our hearts from giving up. Let us lean not on our understanding. Keep us from handing our children and our parents over to themselves. But Lord, break through and bring about reconciliation and healing that we might look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the complete embodiment of a father who loves his children, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.